When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Where's Bob at? I'm right here. All right, Bob. That's what and I need to do. Oh. <laughs> huh? There you go. There you go. Okay. Let's let's get this all going and, and just uh BSing. All right. We'll just you know we'll go with it. We'll have some fun. I'll mediate if I have to. We'll we'll figure it out. All right. Here we go. Gonna take it. Two legends in basketball analysis with over 70 years combined experience. This is the Bob Ryan and Jeff Goodman podcast. NBA, some college, a little bit of everything. You know, what can I say? But it wasn't going to happen here with him. I was okay with it because it wasn't about talent, I didn't think. All right, let, let's get right to it. All right, pleased to uh, bring in in the uh, latest edition of the Ryan and Goodman podcast. There he is. Bob Ryan showing the number 31, and it is uh, none other than, listen, forget about former Celtics great or all that crap. Uh, He is the host of of an award-winning podcast right now that is Cedric Maxwell. Max, how are you? Thank you, gentlemen, for having me on. And and before we get started, I got to put this to to rest right now. Bob Ryan, for some reason, thinks that I've been mad with him all these years, all these years, and I have not. Bob Ryan was one of the best writers around. And one thing that Bob Ryan, and he, he might remember this, he might not, Bob Ryan wrote an article about the Celtics uh, in probably 1978. And he was talking about how the team was going to transition because he saw all these old players we had, Joe Joe and, and all these other guys, and they were moving on. He wrote this article and said, I see the future at forward right now. And the Cedric Maxwell. All they have to do is let him make mistakes. He can make as many as he wants. But he is going to be the guy. So, so Bob, we can put the axe to this. You are you have always been one of my, my favorites. Well, that's good to know, Max. And, and I got a lot of things, a lot of flattering things to say about you before we're over to people uh, who never saw you play miss something good. Well, I'm going to start with this because we're talking this, we're just having a conversation here. In the summer of 1972. I was doing a book on minor league baseball and I arrived in Kinston, North Carolina for a three game series in June. And I want to know, I guess if school wasn't out, maybe it was, but it wasn't what the, what young Cedric Maxwell was, what might've been doing while I was going to the ballpark for those three days. What was life like young Cedric Maxwell in the summer of 1972? 1972, Kinston, North Carolina, when you were there, I was either playing basketball at Holloway Center or I could have been at the baseball game because I was a big baseball fan. And one thing my father would give me money for was to go see, at that time, the Kinston Eagles play. And I saw Doc Ellis pitch in Kinston way mm-hmm. back in the day. So I, I love baseball. Uh, you know, when you told me this story about you being in Kinston, and you're saying it was literally on the other side of the tracks as you yep. talk about black and white. That's yes. what the difference. I, I just 
I just tweeted out something today, uh, Bob, you'd love it. Um, it was like maybe five, six years uh, before that, 1968, 67, 66, all those years, my parents would, would go down to my father's hometown, Equipment, North, Equipment, Georgia, and we'd had to go through Myrtle Beach, and we'd stop in Myrtle Beach every year. Myrtle Beach essentially had what was a black beach or colored beach, as they said at that time. It was so bad, Bob, that what they did to separate the two, and I, I tweeted out a picture of this, you'll love it. They had a chain link fence, which went in the ocean, went from, went from the shore all the way out, probably maybe about a football field, out in the ocean so it would keep the, the black people separated from the white people. That, that's how segregated it was. So it, it, was, it was an unusual time back then in the yep. 70s, as you said, 70s and 60s, when you and I were kind of around there. Amazing. Max, what, what was it, you know, the, the question I always have, I'm, I'm younger than you and younger than Bob, we know. Uh, but, but when you came here to Boston, and, and I heard it when I was a kid growing up, you, you heard about the city of Boston and the rap that it was getting at that point uh, through the Bill Russell days and, and the days when you were playing, uh, of it being um, racially charged city and, and a city that a lot of black athletes did not want to play in Boston at that time. What was it like then for you to play, and, and how has it changed, if it has changed, over the years? Well, first of all, when I came to the Celtics, I didn't want to be here because I just didn't want to be in Boston. The next team that picked, had to pick, was Atlanta. So mm. I'm from the South, so I, I wanted to go to Atlanta. Um, Boston had nothing racial on anything I had done already in my life. Being in a segregated area, being in all the things that kind of happened, as I told you, busing at that time had happened for me maybe six or seven years earlier when I was in high school and in college. So I had gone through all those things. I didn't see the racial. I don't, I don't think Boston has a monopoly on racism. And people want to say, oh, my God, you're playing in Boston. No, I've had some of the worst things happen to me when I played in L.A. that were racial. Or, or if I was in an, another city, I remember I remember things that it wasn't racial, but it was really funny. I remember ML Card laughing at me. Uh, he and I were in Denver, and it was one of those off days. And he and I went to a movie theater, and I'm standing there, and you know, about to go in the movie. This, this lady walks up to me and gives me her movie ticket, <laughs> as if I was as if I was the first. <laughs> ML just he just died. He he just died. ML had the same thing one time with him in Boston. He was at the airport. Guy walks up to him and hands the ML his bags <laughs> as, if, as if he was the, the bell thing. So it was so, so things happen from a racial standpoint. Some of them happen to be funny when you look back on them. But uh, right now, the uh, racial environment, the way the world is, Boston does not have a monopoly on racism, especially in America. Everybody says that about the athletes and all this other stuff. Here's the thing I talk about Boston. Red Arback, to his credit, many years, a couple, maybe two or three years ago, the Boston Police Department wanted to honor Red Arback during Black History Month. People just went in an uproar. Oh my God, how can you do that? And who did they come to? The, 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 that Black person was me. Max, so how do you feel about that? I, oh my God, they're doing this Red Arback during Black History Month. I said, let me explain something. 
what they're doing right now, they're honoring Red Arback for his relationship with culture and blackness and the movement and, and pushing it forward. Yeah. This, and then I said this, and nobody else could say it. I said, it's not called Black, it's, it's called Black History Month. It's not called Black People's Month. And what they did in honoring Red Arback, they honored him, one, because he had the first black player. Two, he ended up having the first starting black five. And then he ends up having the first black coach in the NFL, in NBA. And people just, people mouths kind of fell open, open when I was yeah, telling no. them this story. So they didn't even understand the significance of Boston when it came to NBA and guys of color, you know, playing in this league. Red Arback, all he wanted was one thing, Bob, you know. He didn't give a damn if you were red, green, purple, what. If you could play, damn it, you're going to be on the floor. He didn't care about that. Max, I don't know if you and I have ever talked about this. I may have brought it up to you at some point early on. But when I started covering the team in 1969, it just so happened that when there was still the era of roommates. And through all the roommate pairings as much as possible were, were black and white. I don't think that was an accident. I don't think that the guys automatically, you know, they became, they were friendly, but I know, like I know, for example, it was Havlicek and Satch. They were very good friends, but everybody was, it was Dave and Jojo. It was, it was a uh, uh, Cheney and Nelly, et cetera, on, on down the line. Clearly that came from the top. That was yeah. a, a mandate. Yeah. Oh, it, it had to be. You, you think about that movie that came out. It was a couple of years ago, Academy Award winner, the Green Book. And they talked about the Celtics in that movie. And yeah. there's, there's one guy who is a, he was a great uh, pianist and he was touring the South. And he went to this one restaurant where, one restaurant where he was going to be playing music, but they didn't want to serve him to eat. And they, the guy pulled him to the side, who was the owner of the place, and said, Let me tell you something. When the world champion Celtics came through here, what do you think their big kahuna? He was talking about Bill Russell when today. And he said, I don't know because it wasn't here. So even at that time, and, and that's why I, I really admire Satch and those guys, that they could not go to certain places. And that's one thing Bob Cousy talked about. He said, one thing that really bothered me is the fact that I felt like I should have pushed up even more when Russell wasn't allowed to go into a restaurant and eat with me. This is one of my teammates. Yep. They had, a, and of course, that book, The Last Pass, was powerful. Gary Pomerantz's book, and I recommend it to people. Uh, this, is, this is a 90-year-old man pouring his soul out about how he should have been be done better and used his forum, which brings us to using forums more and more. That's this, one of the watchwords of the day is all athletes in this climate that we're living in today, the 4th of June, 2020, and everything that's going on in America, and, and the growing awareness and, and desire of athletes. I don't know if you saw this in the paper today, Max. Um, Patrice Bergeron of the Bruins, born in Quebec, 34-year-old, came here, didn't even speak English. You got to go read what he said today. Mm. It, it, it was as powerful and an, an aware statement from a Caucasian about what he feels he should be doing and what he didn't get and what he now gets and 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 and, and et cetera, really good stuff. But I mean, this is typical of, there's like, do you get the feeling that there's a blossoming of, of athlete awareness to, 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 to be heard now? Well, should, well should, I, should I ask you the same thing about Drew Brees? No. I mean, what, <laughs> what, what are you just saying? I mean, 
really sometimes you get it, sometimes you don't. And this is what makes LeBron James to me now the GOAT. And I say this because not what he's done on the floor, because what he's done off the floor with, you know, social issues and all these things. Now, I'm not slapping at Michael because during his time, there was no, you know, social media platform that Michael was able to get on. But Mm. Michael intentionally stayed away from those things. LeBron James jumps into these things with two hands and, in race relations, in, in, in all the things that might, you know, might come up. So I, I, I understand, and I think the players are stepping out even more. Even Jalen Brown. Jalen Brown to drive 15 hours from Boston to Atlanta to be with his friends, to go out and protest. I love that. But the only thing I didn't like about that, Bob, is when I saw him talking without a mask on. It's like, okay. oh, whoa, Jalen, oh. If you're going to lead, lead by example. Now, maybe later on he put one on. But, uh, yeah, most players are stepping up to the mic. And I, I think that what we know now is, is it's a community. You know, athletes aren't separate as they were one time before from everybody else. They, it's a community of people. Well, it's easier because of social media. I mean, that, that's the biggest difference now mm-hmm. is, right, you can have, uh, you know, a guy from Portland um, – you know, matching up with somebody here in Boston and doing a video together or, or, or doing podcasts or whatever, getting their message out the way they want to do it. That is true. But don't you think that Michael Jordan had that platform? Oh, he, he a hundred percent did. He was, he was a one, he was a one of the few guys who had that platform. If Michael Jordan had spoke on an issue at that particular time, it would have resonated not as much because not many people would have heard it, but, Man, it wouldn't been far off because people lived and died on every word that Michael Jordan said. But LeBron, and I listen, I've been around LeBron since he was 14 at ABCD camp. He has been in that for so long in the social media world that mm-hmm. he has learned. Like, the, the people that he's been around at Nike, now they made one big mistake with him, obviously, with the decision and how they approached that. But for the most part, he's gotten pretty good sound advice throughout his career on how to handle certain topics um, where I'm not sure Michael maybe had that at that point in his life. LeBron was much further at an earlier age. He, he had to deal with it. Well, well, let me ask both you guys this. This is something that happened very recently. I want to say about a month ago, the state of Georgia opened up early. They, they opened up early and it was a shoe store that at that time released Michael Jordan's shoes. A long line of kids with no mask on was standing there. They're smart people at Nike. Michael Jordan's smart. Why would you do that during this particular time? What advantage? If you put this shoe on the market 10 years from now, you're going to still have a line of people. What was the purpose in dropping the shoe right now with the pandemic the way it was. I didn't understand that. I'll, I'm a, I, need a, I need an answer from you and from Bob. That's, I don't have one. It's a, it's a, it's a, of course, the phrase of the day, the word is, the, it's a bad optic. It's, it's way beyond just a bad optic. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's almost a tone deafness thing. Uh, it's, no, it, it, it's indefensible. I guess that's the word I'm searching for. It's not. There's no defense for it. I'm no sure idea. Michael had no idea. Let's be honest. What? Wait a minute. Whoa, whoa, wait a minute. 
Michael had no idea. No idea that no they idea. were dropping his shoe. Come on. No idea. No, no. I, I guarantee Max, serious? he had no clue. I guarantee are you, it. Are you serious? Yes. You think that Michael Jordan did not yes. know that they were dropping his shoe? Hell no. Oh, he had no yeah, idea. I, I'm not at, what, at what day and what time and I where? I think of what day, what time. But right now, at this particular time. Okay. Somebody, I'll give you that. On. You see what this is right now? All I need right now is a church because I have a Bible in my hand right now. What picture am I showing? We all got one. We all, we all got one. Whoa, whoa, what is this? Wait a minute, I need a church it. behind me right now, and I need the Secret Service to clear everybody out, all right? I need to go take this picture. You got to hold, hold it wrong, Max. You got to hold it upside down. Well, you gotta, first, you gotta, of all, first of all, he didn't know. You got to be very awkward. Bible. You got to be super awkward how you hold yeah. it, right? That was, that was absolutely god-awful. So you're Man. talking about word of the day optics. That hey, was what those optics you're going, really? Seriously? Max, if, if, if you're Drew Brees' teammate for the New Orleans Saints right now, do you forgive him? And how the hell is it going to be in that locker room this year? I say I say you forgive him, but you, you're not going to forget. You're not going to forget. Drew, uh, Drew Brees can say what he wants to say at this particular time. But again, what he did essentially – he had said this three, four years ago, or whatever it was, and essentially he comes back and doubles down. Now, who who doubles down right now? Who is running into anything? What guy is what white guy is running into anything racial right now in this world and thinking that, hey, you know what? This is a good idea. This is a good look. <laughs> no, it's not a good look. No, it is not. Is it with the pandemic going the way it is? And then on top of that, to have the race relations the way they are, black and white, Mr. Floyd passing away, the, the whole country right now galvanized, all the, the riots and the protests, peaceful, non-peaceful, but you decide at this particular time to come out, if I'm his teammates again, I, I try to understand it, but there, there's one other thing which you should say about Trudeau. Look also at his record. Look what he's also done in the community with helping people of color. Look at so there's another side to the potato that yep. people aren't going to look at, and they're just not going to look at it anyway. Now, what this is going to stand over him, just like many other things have stood over athletes their uh, their lives. Bob, what, what's your what's your memory of of Max? What, what's your what? one memory that that comes out when you when you see Max and you think of him? Uh, a younger, more athletic oh, Max than he is now. Wow. Thanks, Max, wait, 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 wait. Max, I was there in the media room when when, when you took a fall in Boston. Dude, I, I was tripped. there. I tripped, dude. I got my leg. I caught it in the table. <laughs> Look, it's, it's the image. He's a dinosaur because what he did isn't done any longer. Uh, setting up shop in that low post. And, and wiggling and squirming and, and figuring out a way to get that ball in the basket and, and, and doing it with a combination of ball handling skill, physical dexterity, intelligence, desire, uh, toughness. Uh, um, I'm gonna, I got a quiz for Max. Max, I, as best I, as I can ascertain, uh, you are a member of a very exclusive club, a very, very, very exclusive club uh, that has to do with, with your scoring. Do you uh, have any idea the club that you are specifically a member of? I, 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 I really don't. People who might be, who are, are well, I, I could, you know, we're gonna look it up. Could be a member of this club. I, you know what, Bob? I don't know, and I want you to tell me so I can tell Jason Tatum 
and I can tell Brown later on. <laughs> <laughs> the numbers are 3433, 3,433, and 3,598. The first one is the number of career field goals, 3433. The that he could get to the basket and he wanted contact. He embraced it. And, uh, and, and that, that's to me, again, I'm a little bit younger. That's what stood out for me about Max. Okay. On the, uh, on the um, night on the, on the, um, uh, let's see what the data 16th of January, 1980, Max, you went to the free throw line against the bulls 19 times that night. You only made 12 though. Damn it. Wow. <laughs> Oh, wow. However, here's the bet, the coup d'etat. You had that's because you had already on the 11th, excuse me, the 9th of November in '79, you went to the free throw line 22 times against the Kansas City, whatever they were then, <laughs> Kings, and you made 17. You had 27 points, five field goals, 17 free throws, 27 points. Um, your free throw totals are astonishing. And they are a reflection of a style of play and an expertise in a style of play that no longer exists. Doesn't no, exist. That, 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 yeah, you are you, Bob. You're right. It's 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 the game of the dinosaur right now. People aren't looking for twos around the basket, which I think are absolutely crazy. Two of the greatest players right now, to me, who were ever put on on tennis shoes, Paul Pierce, and the other one might have been Kobe Bryant. Masters of the mid-range jump shots. And now those shots are taboo. You only shoot those. When you when people shoot those, people go, oh, that was a bad shot. You should have took a three instead of whatever it is. So I, I, I totally understand. And I said, well, if I was playing today, I'd have to translate my game. The one guy whose game is, I think, to me, translates as well as any would be Larry Joe Bird in today's game. Everybody talks about Luka, how, how good Luka would be. Luke is a great player right now for Dallas. Yeah, he is. But Luca would be like sitting in coach, and then Larry would be like getting an upgrade going to first class. That's, <laughs> that's the difference in the two guys' game. And, and no offense, Luca is a great player. But you think about Larry Bird shooting the ball from the outside, rebounding, passing, all those things you look at Larry, the intangible. And, and the biggest thing, I think, toughness, Bob. That is what I'd say about Larry Bird. People don't remember that. that I always tell this story. I was the first pro really to play against Larry Bird. You might remember the camp. Man, we were just going at it. Matter of fact, I, I'm sure I outscored Larry during this time because Larry couldn't guard me. I remember he wrote something in the book saying, whoo, at Maxwell. I, <laughs> I didn't know which way he was going. And it was just fun. <laughs> but I remember Larry Bird stepping on the court the first time, and I was up we're at Hellenic College, and he walks on the floor. And I'm up in the little area. They have a little stage up there. And I'm sitting down. I'm watching him walk in. And I give him the slow clap. Here, and I'm thinking in my mind, and I'm saying it out loud. I'm like, here he comes. Great white hope. Here we go. And I remember <laughs> stepping out of the court the first time with him, about 15 feet away, hands down. Bam. It's like, okay, knock that one down. I'm going to get up closer. 18. Bam. And the closer I got, the further he got, he just thought, just kept knocking down shots. 
And me as a black player, I always say I was prejudiced at that time because I, I didn't know white guys could play. I didn't have any idea. I remember the first black person I could get to right after that practice. I said, you know what? A fucking white guy can play right there. That's, that's, all, <laughs> all I that's all I could say. I just laughed. And I said, God, God to me is a funny God. God doesn't, for, for a guy who was prejudiced about, you know, black players, he doesn't give me one great white player. No, he gives me two of the greatest white players ever to play the game at one time together in Mikhail and, and Bird. So I'm just saying it was just a cruel irony for me as a prejudiced player to play against two of the greatest white, two, I, in my mind, two of the greatest white players ever to play the game together. Yeah, how much how much shit did you and Bird talk uh, going back at each other? Ooh, man. You know what? Larry didn't talk much then. That's what people didn't understand. When Larry got to us, Larry wasn't talking much then. I was doing the talking. Kevin McHale, ML, all of us were doing the talking. Larry didn't talk that much junk. Then later on, I hear Larry Bird, everybody said, oh, Larry Bird's the greatest trash talker of all time. Not when I played, he was not. And, and you can ask his teammates that. He wasn't a great tra uh, trash talker at that time. Max, you and Don Chaney are the only two people who played with both John Havlicek and Larry Bird. Mm -hmm. And uh, what, what, can you just go? I'll, I'll throw that at you. Havlicek, you got him at his age 36, his final year. What was it like for you to be around John Havlicek? What do you, well, what did you take? Yeah, John, and, and, and this is what was crazy about it. My first year with John was John's last year. And I just remember playing and, and watching him come on the floor. And now, and and he came to practice. Red didn't, didn't make him come to camp. He came to camp late every year. But, man, came in just flying, never stopped. I was like, damn, this dude. And I'm trying to keep up with him as a young player. I'm thinking, like, this should be a piece of cake. Man, he ran me to death, coming off these picks, cutting back the other way. Was just an amazing guy. And and I don't think I was as hurt as I've ever been when the last time I saw John. And that's when he was at the Garden. I want to say they might have been honoring Paul Pierce. And so I came down to speak, and speak to John. And I saw him. And I was like, hey, John, how you doing, man? What's going on? How you feeling? And he goes, hey, how are you? I didn't know he had the early, early stages of Alzheimer's at that time because I was like put off because like, damn, John, didn't, John, to play with you, you know, but I didn't know that John essentially didn't recognize who I was at that time. And I didn't know what he was going through. So that's why I say, when you think about players and who they were and, you know, even, even you think about the great ones I played with Dave Cowles, one of the stories I love about Dave is this one. First time I ever played with Dave, he gets two ammonia tablets breaks him in half, stuffs him up his nose, and takes this big snow. And I'm like, whoa. I'm thinking, I said, that dude is a real man. Next thing you know, Bob freaks me out. Opens his shirt up, blows his nose in, in his shirt, and then rubs it all over his body. I'm like, holy shit. Who, who, who does this kind of stuff? So, And then the, another one that was I thought was just as good was Pete Maravich. We played with Pete last year. Uh, Pete was with us. And the story was just really, it was just kind of bittersweet. Pete gets the ball, one of the greatest players ever, gets the ball, passes into Larry. Larry forces up a shot. Peace man comes down and double teams Larry. Larry forces up the shot. We call timeout somehow. We come to the bench. Pete looks over at Larry and says, Larry, Larry, 
they're double teaming you, man. You know, you got to pass the ball. Larry in that southern drug just looks up, drinking the water, and say, you know what? If you're any damn good, they wouldn't be double teaming me. I was like, damn, this one, one superstar to another. So Larry did not have a, a filter at all when it came to who you were and, and what you did. But those days, and remember playing with JoJo White, coolest dude in the world. That is one of my, my best friends, one of my mentors. I loved him. Under Tommy Heinsohn. I had, at that year, my first year, I had seven guys who'd been on the All-Star team. Dave Bing was on the all-time, uh, All-Star team. Sidney Wicks, Curtis Rowe, uh, JoJo, um, Havlicek, um, uh, Count. Um, it was just on and on. And Dave Bing, man, those dudes, man. And, and you think about it, they would have been a collection of unbelievable All-Stars. But they had gotten old all of a sudden in one day, in, in one season. And uh, it was just bickering between all these guys, and it just didn't work. All right, let's tell it once more. Is it myth or not? Did Moro say to you they don't put W's and O's on the paycheck? That was said by Curtis Rowe. Yeah, it was said. Curtis, I, I Curtis, Rowe, said, Curtis Rowe said to me, uh, in one of the games, he said, I don't know, I had scored like 10 or 15 points or something. He said, Rook, they don't put L's and W's on paychecks, okay? There's a word called first and the 15th, and that's what you worry about. And uh, so, yeah, that was that was said. Max, uh, this week, uh, sad week, uh, been a sad couple weeks. First, Jerry Sloan, who you did not play against, but you coached, you played against his teams mm-hmm. many times. Wes Unseld, who uh, I'm, I'm taking this one hard. I loved Wes Unseld. Did you ever run into one of those famous picks? Oh, I did. In my first year in the league, I was guarding. I, at that time, you you have so much energy that I'm guarding my man full court. You know, guys don't guard people at full court in the NBA. I'm guarding my man full court trying to take it from me. I'm not listening. I'm oblivious to everything around me. I don't hear one of my teammates screaming out, pick, rook, pick. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm running full speed, and all of a sudden I I hit West Unsell, and man, I just slid right down. I will never forget how hard he hit me, and that that was like one of those things that. And like I said, I played with him against him, and those were his later years. So for me, it was fun because. But then he couldn't even move. He, you know, he, no, had those, he had those he had those bad knees carrying weight, so he was trying to guard me. It might have been an elephant trying to catch a flea because I was like. By the time he turned, I was already gone. So I, I think that you looked at it in that way. By that time, he may have been tipping him around 300. And oh, seriously, more and, than but, but you, I always say, if you've ever seen any videos, Max, of him, uh, the first time, him, you'll love this one. The first time I laid eyes on him was in 1966. BC is playing in New York in a holiday festival against Louisville. And we beat them in triple overtime, but not before – he fouled out in the second overtime with 35 points and 26 rebounds. And at that point, he was a soft, he was 6'6", plus afro, and about 240, and he had lift then. I know it's hard to believe, but the guy you saw. No, had no, no, no. I, I've heard but stories he about West. And his youth, and, and as well as, a, and, you know, powerful thrust. You know, he went up with force. Yeah. You know, that, like the but yeah. Marcus Johnson went up with force, you know, yeah. his powerful jumper. Uh, West was a – but the guy you ran into, he had to be tipping him around 300 by that three no, bulls. No, he, he, he easily <laughs> was. 
I remember one of the stories I heard about him, which was legendary, was the fact that Wes could literally go up, get a rebound in midair and turn and hit the backboard before he hit the ground. He could turn around and throw the ball all the way to the other end of the floor. That's how strong and that's how powerful he was. So, yeah, a remarkable uh, player. Uh, yeah, we'll, he will be one of the uh, legends. He's a legend of the game, but he'll, he'll also be a legend in that Baltimore-Washington area for what he did for that franchise. And then later on became when Washington won their only um, championship, he was a finals MVP. So I have that connection with him. So, yeah, it is, uh, it's a great loss for this league. And, you know, just for this league this year to, you know, to lose, lose the commissioner, lose Kobe Bryant, lose Sloan, now losing him and losing part of the season, this 2020 year will never, ever be forgotten. It will be it – will, it will always stick to me as one of the most unusual. And the team that wins it this year, I don't think there should be an asterisk beside their name because what they're going to have to go through to win it and all these other things, the stops and starts, that to me is as real as the championship might get. I'm well, glad you said Let's go there, talking. Max. Let's come let's, let's, talk about that. And he's right. I agree with him. Yeah, let, let's move it forward. This, you know, 22-team uh, playoff that's going to be in Orlando and um, some of the, the bottom teams are going to fight for, you know, the eighth spot, uh, whatnot. Um, you know, in terms of how much of an advantage do you think it's going to be, Max, for some of these teams and the players that have already been able to work out? I, I talked to Danny Ainge about it a couple months ago early, and remember at that point Tatum wasn't even – he didn't have a hoop. He wasn't dribbling. He wasn't shooting. Obviously, that changed uh, very quickly uh, after he said that publicly. But how much of an advantage do guys like LeBron, like Kawhi, have? Because they've had their own gyms. They've been working out throughout all this. You would think that that would be a big advantage, and it might be to a degree. But you think of it this way. Maybe it's going to be more refreshing for a guy like Jason Tatum who hasn't, you think since he's been probably five years old when he could ever dribble a basketball, this is the first time he's ever been away from the basketball for probably three, month, three four months. So it, it can put more fuel in the fire for him. That he is a younger player is going to be a difference in them springing out. I remember my first time practicing with the Celtics, and we had all these other old guys, and they were like, okay, practice is going to be an hour. But we had to warm up. We had to stretch for 30 minutes. I'm like, damn, guys, hey, let's play. Come on, man. Let's get this over with. Yeah. I don't know, Brooke, you don't understand. So the difference in my body now, later on, it became, okay, we need to stretch. We need to do all these things. So with Tatum and Brown and the, and the Celtics being a younger team, it might not affect them as much. Well, it might affect some of the older players a little bit more. A guy like Kimba, but – Kimba maybe needed this time off to heal his body. So yeah. I think everything is going to kind of be even. The fact that you're going to go into an arena, everybody says with no fans, how's that, how is that going to be? Let's hark back to when you played out in your backyard with just you and your friends. And some of the battles were epic that you think about. Yeah. And you didn't think about fans being there. Now, is there a home court advantage which is going to be lost? Yes. Not playing in Boston. Yes, not playing in Milwaukee or L.A., but I think the pride of playing in a game might supersede all those other things. With currently no NBA, NHL, or Major League Baseball, you might think there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Bet Online still has hundreds of places to wager, from their online casino to poker and blackjack. 
all open 24 hours a day and all online. Sports aren't totally done. There's still mixed martial arts, golf, esports, and many more. Bet online, your full access wagering solution. I'm not prepared to leave the Wayback Machine in the rearview mirror yet, uh, Jeff. I want to bring up, we, we really didn't do a proper introduction here. Uh, I, I don't want us to get out of here without letting the world know that we're talking to a man who led the league in field goal percentage at one, two years in a row with the following percentages, 609 and 584. In 1979-80 and, and uh, 78-79, 584 and 79-80, 609. So, and a career percentage of 546. And I got one important question for you, Max, though. Yes, sir. Which is on the 12th of November in 1983 in the Chicago Stadium, you put up a three-point shot attempt, the only Ooh. one in your career. Do you remember the circumstance was the clock running down? No, 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 no. <laughs> Bob, I, Bob, I remember, let's say, the made one I made. Actually, it was in Houston. And uh-huh. that's the one That's the one I made. One I made one out of two. It was The other ones were just kind of throwing it up because the time was going out. In Houston, that's the one I shot. And I remember we actually lost the game. I came out, and I saw Danny Age. We were in the locker room, and I stood behind where nobody else could see me. And I put my hands up and start laughing. I said, I got a three. So that's the only one I made. Where was the spot? You remember the spot on the floor? Yeah, I was in the corner. I was dead, dead in the corner in Houston. I will always, I will always remember that. And remember, Bob, I was, a, I was around for the first shot that was ever made, three-point shot that was ever made in Boston. My good buddy Chris Ford shot it from the same corner in Boston. Oh, right so, and so, yeah, that was the first NBA right shot. Yes, right-hand corner. So, then that was the day that the game changed. That's when the game changed, when they came down on a fast break, and instead of fanning to the basket, he, he, oh, the basket, he ran to the corner. I don't know whether Tiny gave him the ball or Larry gave him the ball or whoever the hell gave him the ball, but somebody gave him the ball, and he took that little tippy-toe set shot where there's about yep. that much space, right? Yeah, yeah. If that's yep. – Maybe that much. <laughs> I, I, I will. I will say that is true. And if you want to drive me crazy in the NBA game right now, you let me. As this drove me crazy by Al Horford, under the basket, could lay it in by himself, flings it out to the corner for a three. If you wanted me to lose my crap, that's when I used to lose my crap. Like, take a two would take a guaranteed two instead of possible three, unless you really need it. And coached out of the young guys last night. I, I, there was a game last year, Max, when I'm watching, and they throw the ball in to to Robert Williams, Rob Williams, and he is. I'm not kidding. He's two feet. He could probably reached up and dunked it, but he sure had a nice little two jump hook flip. Never even entered his mind because it's been coached out of him. He threw it immediately to the corner. Yeah. Daryl Murray has done more to ruin basketball. He's done the basketball. <laughs> Tony Larusa did the baseball. With this what? analytics crap and the three-point shot mania that has distorted this game forever. Well, I think the thing that people talk about is stuff like Steph Curry, and I've heard a lot of people. And I did a podcast with Michael Cooper. Michael Cooper tells me right now, you know what? I can stop Steph Curry. I'm like, who? Where <laughs> he's shooting from? We didn't even think about guarding guys from there because now they're pulling up three, four feet beyond the three-point line. And when we used to shoot threes, we were, let me use the word like my grandfather, we were chunking it up towards the rim. We weren't shooting it. 
these guys right now is oh, number follow through and risk. And you know, James Harden, God bless him. You know, he, the way he is a savant in shooting the basketball to me is absolutely uh, unbelievable. Now, Baba, uh, this is the one I give you that everybody's been asking me lately. He said, "Well, Max, well, w- do you think that you are a Hall of Famer?" I said, "No." I said. I have credentials, like I see a lot of guys going in, but there are always guys who are going to be fringe on the outside. Did I play well enough to, you know, be a finals MVP, to lead my team in the seventh game, to be a broadcaster for 25 years or 30 years, however it goes? Yeah, those are great stats, but I don't think it's for everybody. So I'm going to put that to rest now. If I was to go into the Hall of Fame, it wouldn't be for me going in the Hall of Fame. It would be me taking other guys in with me. And and you know, that that would be my that would be my whole thing. I wouldn't the, the, the guys who are all most players who who are going to be in there. And so I, I don't even look at myself like that. I think you know that I always see the great players, and then there's always those players who help great players become better. I felt like I was one of those great players that helped teams become better. I got to tell you, and which is that uh, in this baseball spring training in 1977. I found myself uh, down in a little room watching TV with George the Boomer Scott, who had just come out of the game. And we're watching an NCAA champion, the semifinal game, the, the uh, UNC Charlotte boys against Marquette. And uh, we all know what happened. And, and um, that's why I first laid eyes on Cedric Maxwell. I didn't see him in that NIT the year before. But uh, the fact is, how often do you think about that game and uh, you know what at the end? Oh, uh, yeah. We got we got it stolen from me. Doc Rivers, God bless his soul. He he reminds me about that all the time because he ended up going to Marquette later on. Every time he mentions Marquette, I'm like, oh, we talking about them those thieves that uh, stole stole a game from me and stuff. And he goes, yeah, yeah, they deserve to win that. But it, there's a lot of times I will think back on what could have happened. But oh, my career has been unbelievable. When you think about it. To be a, a guy who, from Kinston, North Carolina, who got cut from the team as a junior, came back as a junior, made it as a senior, and then went on to UNC Charlotte, led them to the Final Four, then comes to Boston, you know, playing on a bad team, and then eventually becomes uh, an MVP in the finals, and then to play well against the Lakers, to have your jersey retired. I, I, I don't think that I could ask for any, anything else. Maybe – Maybe the stars just aligned the wrong way at that time, and McGuire was supposed to win one. But, uh, yeah, those, those things were, you know, kind of unfortunate. As you know by now, I'm finally doing something about my weight and my health by starting Awaken 180 Weight Loss. I've already dropped about 18 pounds, and I'm not the only one. Kendrick Perkins is down about 30 pounds. And we're just two of 11,000 who found the solution for weight loss. No gym, no medication, no tricks, or gimmicks. Awaken 180, a combination of science, nutrition, and expert one-on-one coaching. If you have weight to lose, I recommend you call Paige and her team. You'll lose weight starting the first week and each and every week until you get to your ideal weight. Awaken 186 locations, but during this lockdown, they're starting 
client virtually the same program from the comforts of your home. Simply log in to awaken180weightloss.com. Fill out the form online and start your weight loss transformation. Awaken 180 Weight Loss, the official weight loss program for the Boston Red Sox. Well, for people who don't know what we're alluding to in our private little world here, uh, Jerome Whitehead may or may not have offensive goaltended the winning basket in a semifinal game and a one-point game. That was kept, uh, and you certainly could have played. How oh, how monumental would it have been to be yeah. playing for the national championship against the Tar Heels for yeah, your school? I, I, it's mind-blowing to think. Excuse me, Bob, what we call them in, at UNC Charlotte, the Tar Holes. That's what we okay. call them. We, we <laughs> call them the Tar Heels. And I said that the other day to your guy, James Worthy, you know, because James Worthy, I had him on, and we were both talking about it. It's like, yeah, I remember you with the Tar Holes, and he just kind of laughed. And I, he told me about the game that I played in 1976 at UNC Charlotte. I said he was in the stands watching this game. It was myself against sitting there at university with Robert Parrish as a senior. So oh. we ended up beating them. So, yeah, it's, it's funny how you think about guys you don't even know who were in the arena. He was one of those guys in the arena. That's great. What's your, what's your biggest regret you've ever had? Um, oof, that's that. Now, that's a good one. I think the only regret I have now is that my relationship – isn't as close to Larry Bird as I would like uh, because there over the years, you know, people have been saying I've been taking hot shots to Larry when I said Kevin Garnett was the best all around player ever to play with the Boston Celtics. Oh, you were kicking at Larry or you did this. No, I love Larry Bird's game. I won two championships with the guy and that would be the only regret is that I don't have the relationship where I can just call him up. And, and and just, you know, just holler at him. Uh, he was in the Boston Garden about two years ago uh, for a game. And I think it was when Indiana might have been playing or whenever it was. And he was in the back. And I made a I made a beeline back there. And I was like, Larry Joe Burr, how you doing, man? And I went back there and shook his hand and had to sit hello. But I would still like to somehow just sit down and break bread and get that behind us. And that's what I said also about Kevin Garnett and Ray Allen. I hope that those two guys, whatever happens, I hope they're able to get together. Doc Rivers said it best. If I can get those two idiots in one room, I can crush all this right now. So um, that, those are things that that's the only regret I think I have. Why haven't you called Larry? Why, why haven't you just picked up the phone or, or, or figured out a way to, I mean, we're, we're all getting older. That is a great idea. You know what? I'm, I'm going to get that number from I'm gonna get that number from Bob Ryan eventually, because I know Bob has his has his private number, and and I'm gonna call Larry Joper, especially during this pandemic. I think that the way it is now, you want to reach out at least tell a guy how you feel. I don't want to leave this earth thinking that Larry thinks that he was a bad guy, or I, he thought I was a bad guy. It's like we won together, we 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 bonded together, we won our first championship together. People don't know, you know, some people say, well, Larry was the Finals MVP. No, he wasn't. I was. And people didn't know that in that particular game, 
num game number six in Houston, a, a superstar sat behind me and only played eight minutes in that game. That was Kevin McHale because I was playing so well. So, I, yeah, that is one thing I'm going to do. I, I'm going to reach out to get Bob Ryan. I'm going to get his number, get Larry Joe Burr's number. I'm going to give him a call. Fair enough. Be happy to oblige. You know, I, I got – listen – I got dinner dinner on me to either one of you, whoever can get Larry Joe Bird on, on the podcast first. Uh, no. Any dinner, drinks, however, <laughs> whatever it is, it's on me, all right? Both of all you right. have struck out so far, and I know, Max, you got to break bread and, and make peace first. Yeah, I got to, got to do that. Got to break bread and, and, and make peace and just see how his family, because uh, here's a guy that I loved as a player that I went to war with and uh, won multiple championships with. And, and those things can never be forgotten. So, you know, any water that is under the bridge, I want to put that water under the bridge. So, yeah, gentlemen, that, that would be the case. All right. Have you, have you thought uh, Tatum would be as good as he's been? And, and when, I, when I talked earlier about the fact of the NBA starting back up, He's a guy that I think it's going to be very interesting to see how, how he comes out of the gates. You said, yes, young legs. What I say is, can he pick up where he left confidence-wise, Max? Because, man, he had that swagger that last month. He knew he was the best player in the court every time where early on in the season, that was not the case. Can he get that back? That's going to be interesting to see because, like I said, he was, he, he was, walking, he was walking on air. You know, when those games, you think about when he played uh, Los Angeles in L.A. in that last, one of those last games. Oh, my God, put on a show to the point where L.A. was double teamed and triple teamed in Tatum, you know, to get the ball out of hands. And there was one scene in particular. It was LeBron and Tatum. There was a photo of those two guys um, uh, sitting there on the sideline. They were about to check into the game at the scores table. And LeBron said, looked at, at the, the picture and said, you know, see right there? That's a young line right there. And it's like he was, I want to say he's Simba right now. He's like, Simba, here's your price. Hold him up to the world because, you know, he's a coming. He has that confidence. And like you said, there's a swagger about a guy when he walks in that knows he's the best fucking player in the world. You just going, you know what? <laughs> I remember that was me thinking about Larry Bird. It's like, you know what? I think I might have made a damn mistake. <laughs> I think this guy right here, <laughs> he's better than me. And that to me was that was one of those things where you're talking about eating crow was like all oh, as as a player of color, eating a, eating crow at that time was just unbelievable when I thought about what I was actually thinking about as being a player. But later on, for me, the biggest thing though was I was able to take that in and embrace it. A lot of players don't want to embrace that. They want to move away from that. I understood that if I was going to be good and I was going to be great, I was going to have to make Larry Bird even greater. So I sacrificed a lot of my offensive game at that time to play on the defensive end and guard the toughest guy every night. That's for damn sure. Uh, he, he went up being the guy that had to take on Dr. J, you know, and, and, and uh, without that, they don't win in 81. They don't win and they don't get as far as 84. That's no question about it. And then Max made a, a really – significant um, commitment, you know, that was necessary for the team. And he did it. It was great. Max, you still there? We lost your video. Ooh, we did. Yeah. Max, Max, Max. You gone? 
guess we got, I think it was popping in and out too. So it did. He might pop back in. Let's give it a sec. We'll give it a sec so we can at least do the, the proper, the proper goodbye. If we can do it, we'll see if he jumps back in. All right. So I want to know, and we got this recording without Max right now. Um, why did you think that there was some sort of, of, of uh, I don't know, beef is the right word, but, but that there was something between you and Max? I think he's exaggerating that. I really do. I, 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 I don't think so. I, I don't know what he's doing. No, obviously, I may have done something or said something that, that resonated that I didn't realize, you know? No, and we, but we, every time we've – this is for going on all the years he's been doing the broadcast – I see him in the press room before the game. We kid, uh, Bob Ryan. Oh, oh, and I, I worked with him many times out at Comcast, and and he was always kidding me about um, revenue streams. That was his big thing. I, I said, I got this gig, I got that gig. Man, you got those revenue streams. And I once gave him a ride back to the tee, and I, I, I think it's more for show. I really, I don't think, I don't feel, I, I, I feel no animosity toward. Uh, Max is one of the true. Uh, characters to me too of just no BS Bob he just says it the way it is Um, when he he was with the team I always was thinking I really wanted to get the ultimate sit down with him he had I I knew how bright he was and I knew there had to be a lot going on up there that he wasn't letting us privy to sure and I'm talking about it was 81 2 3 4 5 you know and then it, it didn't end well in Boston right okay it didn't end well and uh that was a shame you know and then of course he they don't he, he brings us Walton. You know? <laughs> like, you know, exactly. So you're not missing, you're not great, missing Max. Well, he performed a great exit service. You know, he brought us home. <laughs> there was the, maybe it's about, you know, how he left and he got hurt in 85, didn't get back right. He's, the, the team did feel he wasn't rehabbing enough or well or whatever. He denies all that. And that, that was a source of friction. Here's all I can tell you. I'm in Larry Bird's house in Indiana with his mother, because I was out there doing a story and Eddie, his brother, you know, and, and, and what, and what life was like. And I'm on the phone with Larry in his house. He said, Bob, this is like January of 85, January of 85 or, or February. Really. Bob Max doesn't want to play for us anymore. I'll never forget that exact words. Does exact verbatim. Bob Max doesn't want to play for us anymore. That's the feeling that he had left with the team. Yeah. That yeah. conveyed by actions, if not words. And, and is know? that why you think, uh, as he said there, uh, there's still a rift between he and Larry? I don't know. See, I'm thinking. All I know is that, you know, and then he, he's traded and gone, and they on have, they have their greatest year ever the next year. Right. And, you know, and then they, they, you know, we all know, 687, you know, they, were, they had three more years of glory, you know, without him. And I, I don't know. It's, I'm glad to hear him say that, though. That's a very good – it's, you know, guys are getting, you know, it's, that's almost, it's, and I'm glad, I'm very happy to hear him say that. And I, it means something to him to, to get that fence mended. And I'm, I'm really happy to hear that. 